I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our feature today from Chicago, Illinois, is Cynthia Gallagher, poet and playwright, the author of several books, and we're going to be having a wide-ranging talk about yoga, the recent eclipse, and uh, mindfulness. So uh, it's going to be interesting. And then I'm going to be telling you about the 100,000 Poets for Change Global Event Day coming up the end of September. It's going to be a good one. Stick around. I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our feature poet and playwright today is Cynthia Gallagher. She's based in Chicago and is the author of several collections and recently made a 10-city book tour with her nonfiction guide and memoir, The Frugal Poet's Guide to Life, How to Live a Poetic Life, Even If You Aren't a Poet. That's somebody, something anybody uh, should want to know how to do. So, Cynthia, I'm so glad you're here to tell us about that and read some poems. Charlie, um, I'm very glad to be here. What would you like to do first? Would you like to start right off with a poem, or you want to talk a little bit? Well, I, I, I feel more comfortable reading poetry. <laughs> but I you know, I'll I'll do my best. And uh, but I could read a poem uh, about the solar eclipse. I have a poem about that. Um I didn't did not go to Carbondale, Illinois, where they had uh, uh, you know the full totality, but I actually think I saw we saw more up here in Chicago, uh, as far as the, the eclipse goes. But um but here goes solar eclipse. August 21st, 2017. Moon pulls a room-darkening shade across the sun, a small circle to have a private conversation, a face-to-face performance appraisal between this mid-sized star and Earth's orbiter after nearly a century. The moon first gives sun honor, praises its radiance, while the sun bathes the side of the moon, we can't see in invisible, non-committal light. The moon, more assertive than usual, asks for higher recognition in the solar system, despite its pockmarked, dusty complexion, telling the sun it needs a promotion. After toiling and twirling all these years for Earth, never revealing its bad side, no matter how much it wanted to. Showing off now as it casts cities and states one by one into shadow, however fleeting, hurrying on to make the next impression. Still seeing no response from the sun, the moon turns to the words of man, speaking the language of each country it traced in its former eclipsical paths, reciting to the sun countless poems that poets that poets have written about its fullness and mystery, believing earthly rumors woven on terra firma might make good references. But by August 22nd, the eclipse comes to an end. The moon is disappointed, but the sun smiles, opens its round yellow mouth and tells the moon, I know it's been a long 99 years, Spaceships have landed on your surface in the interim. For the first time, Earthlings have left footprints across you, stuck flags in your face, 
Alien colonies make way stations on your dark side. Nonetheless, you continue to reflect, to orbit, wax whole, wane crescent, play hide and seek, making the same loyal dance every 28 nights. Nonetheless, you want an evaluation? How about a question? Can what I say or any earthbound poem still the twice daily tides you create that rock the world? I had to notice the moon was reciting poems, which is a great concept. Thinking about how many poems have been written, of course, about the moon. Well, the moon, the moon has a good memory, I guess. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, and also the... I, I always like the idea that the moon influences the tides. It's it's just such a concept to think of standing, you know, at the edge of a body of water, and that the water is being influenced by this object so far away. Yeah, and no wonder people are yeah, no wonder people are fascinated. Yeah, so much smaller than Earth, but so powerful. We're we're in, we're we're in its hands. We we couldn't be the Earth we are without it. There you go. Yeah, well, this, this this eclipse certainly got a lot of attention. We, we didn't look up. We I uh, went out and looked down and took pictures of those little crescent-shaped uh, shadows that get created when you get an eclipse. That, that uh, was my uh, personal exploration there. Yeah, I did that a few years ago. Yeah, this time I we had the glasses, and Chicago only got about 86% co coverage, but it was cool. Yeah. No, it's a lot. Actually, I mean, considering what you usually don't get. Anyway, well, how about, about a, how about another poem on some other subject? That's a good one. Well, I have one that's uh, <laughs> kind of Chicago-based. It's an ekphrastic poem about a, a painting that's at the Art Institute of Chicago, and an, and for those who may not know what ekphrastic means, it means uh, a work based on a work of art. So uh, one work based on a work of art. So this is a poem based on a work of art. And it's a painting called Ready to Wear by Stuart Davis. It was painted in 1955 at the Art, and it's at the Art Institute of Chicago. Okay. We're good at making something from nothing, laying ideas on tables, working in primaries like children, while somehow group efforts urge pastiches of opposing biases. Stripes wave into jazzy ribbons of syncopation. Stars dart toward black holes. Patterns are no longer uniform and fragments of old glory fit ever-changing models. Using scissors, thread, presser foot, and ingenuity, we piece together bodices of industry. So languid sleeves that drift like weathered leaves through water. Zip catches of years of frenetic aggression, let out waistbands from overindulgence. Craft new American identities from designer to knockoff, immediate and ready to wear. And what exactly is in the in the painting? That's it, it's it's kind of um, abstract, but you see scissors and you see uh, items that are used in sewing. Um, Ready to wear is a fashion term about mm -hmm. clothing that's ready to wear, that's not custom designed, that's not tailored. Mm -hmm. You just buy it off the rack, but it usually has to do with designer. And so that's why I was bringing different uh, images 
kind of about our American society yeah. that uh, yeah. for the for the good and the bad that we kind of have stitched together and made our our American ready to wear identity or culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Spinning off of a painting like that sounds like this one gave you a lot of opportunity. There was a lot of openness for interpretation. Uh, yeah, it's part of a larger manuscript. I have of ekphrastic poems, and all the poems are on paintings based uh, on paintings from the Art Institute of Chicago. So it's pretty specific, uh, but a lot of fun, and it's you know close to home, Chicago. Yeah, and that's a good idea. Their gift shop should want to carry that book. <laughs> they get get a lot of visitors. That could be good for your poetry. Uh, well, if someone getting out there. Yeah, if someone would publish it, I'd love to do it. Yeah, it's a manuscript, so still working on it. Yeah. Uh, does your does your frugal poets guide uh, to poets to figure out what day is the free day at the museum? <laughs> is it full of that kind of stuff, or what is it? Um, it's it, it has that. It I mean it doesn't have about that the museum per se, but it talks about how to travel. Uh, uh, frugally, but travel as a writer or travel as a creative person frugally and Whoa. can how you can uh, stay at, at writer's retreats like I talked about Marble House, um, how you can stay with friends, how you can make friends while being a writer at different uh, writers' colonies and forming friendships that last for years. And then you can, when you travel, you can visit all these friends, these writer friends of yours that you've met uh, in your mm -hmm. previous travels. It's really, Frugal Poet's Guide to Life is really part of my personal journey as a poet. It's it's part life coaching for poets or those who'd like to live with one. You don't have to be a poet. You could be just any creative person. It's a part creativity guide. So I have guide guidelines of how mm -hmm. to be more creative and how to how to dig deep and, and, and work with that with yourself. Uh, it's part reference and it's really, it has a special section on the modern history of the Chicago poetry scene, including the birth of the poetry slam. And I talk about how people look to New York and San Francisco as poetry centers, but Chicago is really a fantastic poetry center with the Poetry Foundation, the Poetry Slam, uh, the history of poetry going back to Carl Sandburg and on up. So um, it's really a vital city for readings and for writers. Yeah, and for comedy writers, <laughs> well, second yeah. city, absolutely, yeah, and and a couple of other troops too, too that are pretty big time, just not as big as Second City. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, it's all it's it's about all of that. I like this. Can you have me another life tip? I really like this. It's very cool. You know, to be more creative, it's 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 a game of play. It's not really thinking. I have to be more creative. I'm supposed to be creative. I'm supposed to write something. It's just having fun and going out there and, and uh, sometimes just walking, Some take, taking a walk and letting your mind uh, drift and getting your ideas. Or if you're stuck, writers, uh, when you have writer's uh, cramp, <laughs> writer's block, you, yeah. go out and take, you can go out and take a walk. Sometimes, and the Japanese call that um, uh, 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 an earth bath or, or a forest bath. Mm -hmm. These forest baths can give you new creativity. So that's just off the top of my head is some another a way to be more creative, to get a fresh air, fresh perspective. But really treating creativity like play 
You're not competing with anybody. You you yeah. are you. And that's something I, I really stress. You can't be somebody else. You can only be yourself mm -hmm. and only dig deep within what you have. And that's important. That's vital. Yeah. And you can't make a, a creation happen. You just have to go out and get the stimulation and uh, try to be aware and just take down what's there and see where it leads. Um, something like that. But too, there's something called um, alpha stage uh, uh, at will, meaning you know the biofeedback. When you're in alpha, with you're in the alpha mode, that you you're very creative. You can oh. you can train yourself to enter that mind frame. It's just. And I can I, I equate yoga mm -hmm. a lot with poetry writing, that type of mind frame that you can enter, that mindfulness in yoga, because I'm an I'm a yoga instructor as well as a poet. Okay. I'm a certified yoga instructor I teach. And um, you can get into that mind frame that's similar to the creativity of poetry writing, of art, of uh, being a composer, of any form of creativity through such a mindfulness or that alpha stage, you, you can do it. Some people say, well, I have to be inspired. I have to get into that mood or it just has to hit me to be creative. But actually we have more uh, motivation in our own brain that we can do that ourselves. We just have to believe in ourselves and train ourselves to do that. Okay. That sounds good. Yeah. Well, as you were saying, going, going out in the, going out in the world and, and taking a walk but there is such a thing as walking meditation and that's what i'm thinking if you're going for a walk but you're not trying to really get anywhere you're just walking and i would think that to me that leads to the sort of high alpha state you're talking about that might let who knows what come floating into your brain um that's part of it i mean yeah you can you can go with like uh, no preconceived notions Mm -hmm. You know that where you are meditating, and then maybe there's something that does enter your mind that uh, that maybe so-called came out of nowhere, but it might have came mm -hmm. from your right brain, your yeah. subconscious. Yeah, I always, I always think the trick is to notice it. Yeah, you know, even even when you're meditating, you're supposed to yeah let it go, but at the same time, for creativity purposes, you might you stop and notice. Oh, what's that about? and kind of think about it and maybe write a little bit about it and it might lead to a poem or at least some interesting thoughts well well frugal poet's guide to life it's you know usually like a poetry book might be 52 pages well this is frugal poet's guide to life is 280 pages so i have a lot of i have a lot of stuff in there and wow. uh, yeah and there's a it's really a book for any creative person, like I said. Uh, but the special section in the back, the reference, I talk about all poetry bookstores. There's poetry libraries in the United States. Mm -hmm. I talk about my experiences with uh, Writers County and also ones that I've just visited, uh, like U-Cross in Wyoming and, and meeting the executive director. I just stopped in there uh, with my husband and, my, and our friend while we were traveling and um, got to take pictures, they gave us a tour, you know, things like that can happen. You can visit a writer's colony before you would apply for one. You can kind of test it out. Yeah. There's one in Vermont called Vermont Studio Center up in uh, 
think it's Johnson, Vermont. Um, and I write about that too. I went, we, uh, my husband, Carlos Cumpian and I went there on a visit. We were visiting friends in Burlington. We went off to uh, the Vermont studio center. We called ahead and we, they gave us a two hour tour of the wow. place. Um, and, but it's really, a, really focused for artists. They have mm -hmm. a writing center, but, uh, we felt that it was really more arts oriented, artists, visual artists oriented. And yeah. the great thing about that place is it's the whole town is part of the studio buildings. There's like 10 or 12 buildings that are spread across town where uh, readings take place or where there's dormitories. It's amazing. It's wow. really amazing. It's so different than any other type of residency. Yeah. Yeah. But as you said, that's what's good about visiting. And then you could find out that they're really more oriented toward visual art. And so you'd know if you if you cared about that, you know, if you wanted more poetry oriented or or whatever. Well, do you want another poem? Yeah, I think we should do that. Okay. I want to be sure we get some poetry. You have so many good things to talk about, but I want to be sure people get a, a nice sampling of your poetry too. Um, I, also write, I also write about food. Um, I've done some organic gardening. Uh, I've written a, a, a chapbook called Omnivore Odes, Poems About Food, Herbs, and Spices, and uh, also about drink. So I have a found, a found champagne poem in an unclaimed Wisconsin corner. And maybe you can think like Mineral Point, Wisconsin, or some historic little town in Wisconsin. 51 degrees champagne at the 42nd parallel. You pull a magnum from the plastic pail ice bucket. Foil and cage tossed aside to grasp the cork between thumb and forefinger. Then turn the bottle. Pop, sizzle, stars. Liquid plays flute as I, as I pour blanc de noir for both of us, seated in our folding chairs. Shall we toast? To what today? Napoleon Bonaparte said of champagne, in victory, one deserves it. In defeat, one needs it. Though it's a day of neither defeat nor victory, but part of some other scaffolded demolition or yet ungrouted building block towards something we yet don't understand. The champagne Champagne happily chips away at it a little, the way its grapes chip at chalky hillsides northeast of Paris for nourishment. To later be crushed and create bottles full, fermented and aged. Yes, I found this poem like we found the special bottle marked down in the corner bin of the dusty liquor store. And now at our card table outdoors, we breathe hillside air and swallow tiny bubbles of carbon dioxide. Am I, like you say, the half hour's mermaid of the extra brute ether, or you, my midnight prince of prestige cuvée? Or merely both as simple as this Tuesday sparrow song night, yet still savvy enough to quote Dorothy Parker? Three be the things I shall never attain, envy, content, and sufficient champagne. I love how eclectic you are and the different things you bring in. You know, we have Dorothy Parker. We have the proper way to open a champagne bottle, which I was I was astonished when I learned that. I was older than I should have been, but I finally was told by somebody that you turn the bottle, not the cork. 
Well, it's better that you were not younger than you should be, too young to be drinking. So, um, yeah, I think, I think I write about a lot of different subjects because every creative person is, is, a, is a curious person. And when you're curious, you want to find out about a lot of things. Um, and I, you know, I get real nerdy about it, though I do a lot of uh, research into my poems. And, yeah. and I kind of find it like investigative reporting and uh beat poet ed sanders was really into that too you know doing this mm -hmm. investigative poetry investigative yeah. writing and uh yeah he's got i like that idea yeah he's got those whole books that are really i think they're really good the history of the US, american history that he does up in, in poetic form um, I don't know how much time we have left. I have an excerpt from the book, but I don't know if we're running um, out of time. Well, let's just do it. We'll, we'll close with that. Uh, this is part of the Chicago poetry history. Um, there's poet Robert Bly, who some people may not know as, as a poet, but he was also the, the uh, founder of the men's movement. But this mm -hmm. happened way before the men's movement. And he gave a reading at uh, what was called the Body Politics Theater. Uh, the Yellow Press readings in Chicago one very cold night. Um, and it was it's the night Robert Bly got tarred and feathered. Hmm. Uh, Paul Hoover, the poet, has a, a quote. My Chicago had its moments. The surrealistic attack on Robert Bly that ended in a fist fight and the arrival of police. Wow. And I begin by one four below zero winter's night. I took the L train from my studio apartment in Chicago's Edgewater neighborhood to the body politic in Lincoln Park. It was several decades ago. <laughs> On that bone chilling night, a high impact, though little known incident in Chicago poetry history took place. An older poet from Minnesota, Robert Bly was making a special appearance at the Yellow Press readings at the body politic theater. I had never heard of him before. In years hence, he became well known as the spearhead of the American men's movement and author of Iron John, a book about men, a national bestseller. The lighting above Bly's head appeared as bands of yellow, light orange, and salmon enveloping the man in a fiery glow. He wore a loose-fitting white shirt and faded blue jeans. His white hair was mid-length and flowing, his face clean-shaven. A quiet comfort spread through the room as the frozen streets outside enclosed us in their silence. Bly began. I found his poetry accessible, nature-driven, and dealing quite a bit with his home state, Minnesota. Unlike other readers, and in the fashion of a teacher, he repeated each brief poem twice so we could more fully absorb it. Then, according to poet Al Simmons, five of them, four men and a woman, approached him from each flank and the woman came down the center aisle. We thought it was part of the show, said poet T Terry Jacobus. Then the group knocked host Richard Friedman out of the way. Simmons continued, Bly sat perfectly still as two of them each poured a five pound bag of white flour over his head, then stood back while the other three began sh shooting Bly with water pistols. I remembered it as bags of powdered sacrete and Jacobus, mentioned it as something about confetti. And in addition, Bly received one or more pies in the face. It looked like pie plates filled with shaving cream to me, Three Stooges style, while others recall it as custard. Just who were these culprits? 
none other than a group who calls themselves the Chicago Surrealists, more of a political than artistic enclave, who published a magazine at the time called Arsenal. Among them were poets Penny, Free Penny Rosemont and her now late husband, Franklin Rosemont. It was of the latter that the late poet Paul Carroll wrote, one hulking surrealist dressed in Army Navy store black gargled at the audience that theirs was retribution for some recent review Robert had written in the New York Times, daring to criticize their hero, Octavio Paz. I later learned that Bly was one of Chilean poets Pablo Neruda's translators, and Neruda, it turns out, who was politically a communist, had been sympathetic to the Soviet leader Stalin. And it was Stalin who had persecuted the surrealists during his regime. And for this and the cr crime above, Bly was doubly guilty in the eyes of the surrealists. And their goal that night, to tar and feather Bly in a shake and bake call out for his transgressions. Bly stood without a word against his attackers. Then, according to Paul Carroll, several left from the audience, led by poet and bookseller Douglas MacDonald, who gave, the bum, gave them the bums rush out. Also, stone wind poets Simmons, Jacobus, and Harry Cannabis charged the stage, and Simmons says, there was a skirmish, and we pushed them out of the theater into a vestibule that became pitch black when the lobby door shut behind us. And according to Jacobus, we wrestled, punched, and landed out on Lincoln Avenue. The cops were called. In the dark, someone, not Jacobus, inadvertently had clocked Penny. And another surrealist ended up in the gutter, and at least two had bloody noses. We almost got arrested for poetry, said Jacobus. And the defenders ducked back into the theater to cheers and a standing ovation, according to Simmons. And meanwhile, the evening's host came to the aid of Bly to guide him out of the spotlight into the nearest bathroom. And once quickly, quickly cleaned up, Bly returned to the dais and finished his reading. And in conclusion, all I knew was that Neruda and Bly were poets I admired. As well, I later came to personally meet and appreciate surrealists Penny and Franklin Rosemont as honorable people, poets, and publishers of the great wobbly poet and friend Carlos Cortez. And I always liked the Stone Wind guys, too and had visited Evanston home of Douglas MacDonald more than once with friend Effie Mahopoulos. Among such poets, who can choose sides? I was never quite sure if the small surrealist group's statement had been keenly directed as they had calculated, but I'll never forget that night. Oh, wow, that is a great story. <laughs> oh, thanks for reading that. It was certainly a lot calmer when we had him read at Oak Park. He just simply read and took questions. <laughs> uh, yeah, Robert Blyce, yeah, he's he's quite a quite a guy. Um, oh, so good. Well, so Frugal Poets Guide to Life has a lot of stories like that, stories that you may not have heard before about the Chicago mm -hmm. poetry scene. And it, it, it really traces a history. And I think it's a good it's a good archive for uh, people in Chicago and the US to know mm -hmm. what has happened, what is happening here in the 21st century. Yeah. In, Chicago, in the um, Chicago poetry scene. Can people get it on Amazon? Is it like easy to find? It's on Amazon. Um, okay. I, I have a site. I have a, I have a Facebook page at Frugal Poets where they can go and find out more about it okay. and uh, read the and so forth. And, and if they want to buy it, great. They don't have to, but they can sure. find out more. Great. <laughs>
Well, this has been really, really, really interesting. Thanks so much, Cynthia. And um, really glad you could do this. Thank you, Charlie. And um, thanks for the good work you're doing for the for uh, U.S. poetry. You're listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter. We've been visiting with Chicago poet Cynthia Gallagher. And now I'd like to tell you about the 7th Annual Global Event Day for 100,000 Poets for Change, which this year is September 30th. 100,000 Poets for Change has been an annual worldwide happening made up of readings, concerts, exhibitions, and other artistic events all over the globe on a designated day. The uh, organization was founded by Michael Rothenberg, poet and editor of Big Bridge Press, and Terry Carrion, associate editor and visual designer for Big Bridge Press. Here's the mission statement for 100,000 Poets for Change. The first order of change is for poets, writers, musicians, artists, activists, to get together to create and perform educate and demonstrate simultaneously with other communities around the world. This will change how we see our local community and the global community. The way it works is there's a designated day. This year it's September 30th. And local groups all around the world, there are hundreds of groups and probably a hundred or more nations where these groups are located that participate. It's truly global. Each local group decides what and if there is a particular issue for focus, or the focus may be the general notion of a better world, a world that is more equitable, more peaceful, more sustainable for all. The events differ greatly in what actually happens. Some may have a major featured performer, um, I organized one a few years ago where we had five featured performers. Others provide a community open mic or some sort of combination. Events also go beyond poetry. There's nothing to say that a musical event couldn't be part of 100,000 Poets for Change. Our event this year in Bennington, Vermont, is called 100,000 Poets, Musicians, and Artists for Change. It is an all-genre open mic, and anyone who wishes to perform in any artistic genre can do so for five minutes to entertain the crowd that shows up and get them thinking about what it means to have a better world. You can go to 100,000 Poets for Change online and learn if there's something already planned near you, and if not, you might have time to create an event for your community. Uh, you've got till the end of September. For more information on current and past activities related to 100,000 Poets for Change, you just need to go to 100tpc, 100tpc.org. And there you can type in the name of where your town and find out if something is already planned. Or you can look around your state and see if there's something near you. 
It's a wonderful institution, 100,000 Poets for Change, seven years old and going strong. They even had a conference in Salerno, Italy in 2015, and people attended from all around the world just for the opportunity to connect with other artistically-minded people who believe in this idea of art for a better world. I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this has been Poetry Spoken Here. Join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. You've been listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter, inviting you to join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. Music for today's program was written and performed by Jack Rossiter-Mundley. And remember, Poetry Spoken Here is more than a podcast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash poetryspokenhere. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash poetryspokenhere. For more about today's show and other Poetry Spoken Here podcasts, as well as our blog, just visit our website, poetryspokenhere.com. If you'd like to submit suggestions of poets or topics for future podcasts, you can send to our email address, poetryspokenhere at gmail.com.